Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of combat sports, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Good. Um, more importantly, you know, I try to put everything in proper order, and the proper order would be you uh, first. Congratulations once again, um, Mr. Elite Marathoner. Uh, you just got back from... Your latest, and I call it a conquest. I don't care what the heck you say. Um, your latest conquest in the marathons, one of the biggest marathons in the world. You had already done Berlin two weeks earlier, which is just extraordinary. I don't know how the hell you're doing. Those athletic greens must be very good. <laughs> they, they thank God for athletic greens and for your commitment to work and for the will, the will, the resolve, really, that you've developed. And, uh, the character, which is part of that will. You you just ran in the Chicago Marathon Sunday. Uh, you came in second, but you did a below two hours and 30 second time. I believe it was seven seconds below 2.30, if I'm correct. Correct. And Yeah, and the guy that beat you, you didn't even know if you had won or lost until later because, you know, you with that time, you probably felt you, probably felt you won. But um, the guy beat you by 37 seconds, which I applaud him. I applaud him, whoever the heck he is, um, because that's an extraordinary effort too. But your effort was extraordinary. Uh, you're my guy, not him. And to do that, I know one thing. He wasn't running two weeks earlier in the Berlin <laughs> Marathon. Uh, to do that transnational, uh, transatlantic I should say, uh, to fly back and then do that one back to back. Uh, this is the nicest compliment I can give you. You are officially my Henry Armstrong of marathon runners. And he's my probably my favorite fighter of all time, him and Sam Langford. Um, also Joe Lewis. And, and more contemporary would be Sugar Ray Leonard. He's one of my favorites of all time. So you're in good company there, kid. Um, as far as uh, Teddy Atlas goes and as far as I'm, your family goes and as far as the experts on marathon racing go. So, again, just really extraordinary. You make us proud. Um, congratulations. I know that you just got back from Chicago last night and then your kids are off school, so your family's getting a well-deserved little vacation. You went from Chicago and that's part of uh, speaks to what I appreciate your commitment to well to this show and to the things that you're committed to. You you jumped right into the vacation, went down to Florida, um, and then you're down there now and you're doing a podcast from there. So appreciate that. Enjoy the little time off with your family after we not until after we do this podcast, but after we do this podcast, enjoy that and. I believe you're in a place called Pensacola, which that's where a tremendous fighter named Roy Jones Jr. used to live. Matter of fact, they did a show. I actually did an ESPN show down there. It was a, I think it was ESPN. I'm not sure. Matter of fact, it, it, it might have been radio because I actually did radio years ago for HBO with, the great, with my great partner, Larry Michaels, and... I don't think he made this one. I think this was Kevin Harding, the guy that does all the NFL stuff now. He's become kind of well-known now. But at that time, he really was, and he was just kind of making his bones. And 
I think I might have done it with him, but it was in Pensacola. It was called the homecoming for Roy Jones, I believe. And Roy Jones fought some number one, alleged number one contender who um, really didn't perform like a number one contender. Not that anybody <laughs> could with Roy Jones. Roy Jones really was the package. He had speed, he had power, he had instincts, he had reflexes, he had a lot of stuff going for him and obviously confidence. But um, anyway, just I just want to start the right way by congratulating you and telling you how proud we are. Well, thanks, Teddy. That's definitely the nicest compliments any, anyone's ever given me, at least regarding running, uh, to be compared to those guys is, uh, um, you know, might be a bit of a stretch, but coming from you, I'll take the compliment. Um, yeah, I'm happy to, uh, after the massacre I su suffered in Berlin, to come back and have no, a No, not in the race. massacre. Let's uh, stop. I have to correct you again. I'm always correcting you. Um, <laughs> I You came in second in Berlin. Yeah. And, and, um, it was to me that was a more extraordinary effort than this one, really. Yeah. Even though your oh, time definitely. is better here, because I of what you face, yeah. Because of what you face, right. like I always say, a fight's not a fight to the something to overcome. Only something you would overcome. recognize that, but that's the truth. That that two thirty five in Berlin almost killed me. I mean, they had to drag me from the from the finish line. This race, I finished strong. I was cramping up, but I my cardiovascular system, I was working. I felt good. I was hunting people down. I ran almost an even split, like a 114 for the first half, 115 for the second half. And I felt good finishing. I was just my legs and my legs and my body, I think, from Berlin were just beat up. But I was I was in it and I was still in the fight all the way through the finish line. In Berlin, I was like basically out on my feet surviving the last 10 miles. I don't know why, but so, yeah, you're right. The Berlin, truth be told, I'm much prouder of the fact that I stuck it out. Chicago, I never felt like I'm going to die. Berlin, I was like, holy shit, I, I, I might drop. Like, I, just get me to the finish line. I don't even know where I am, you know, on the course. In Chicago, I was with it the whole way mentally and being strategic and trying to hunt people down at the end. But yeah, you're, you you nailed it perfectly. Is that Berlin race took more took more will and determination than Chicago did for sure. And you know, part of your well, part of your deserved recognition uh, prize that you're not looking for, but but that comes with things in the recognition when you do special things. And you know, part of it's this obviously this podcast that we've been blessed. We've developed it to a point where we're closing in on you know 300,000 subscribers I think we're at like just under 280,000 subscribers and well over 50 million downloads and and you know we're blessed I mean we really are and the fans out there across the pond all over the place that subscribe and listen to us um between that and just what you've been doing in your master's class, 50 and over, um, with these, again, these world elite, top six marathons in the world. Um, what you're doing, crushing people out there, just getting it done, just one after another. I mean, I think you won the Boston and the New York, or you came yeah. in, right? Yeah. I think, uh, if I'm yeah. correct, which right. we're talking about, the again, the top of the top. And... Um, so with all that, with everything else, which, you know, you're getting respect and you're getting attention from different places. Now Forbes magazine 
um, with a writer, Anthony Stitt, a really good writer. Oh, what nice I like guy. about, yeah, a good guy, but a guy that is involved in boxing. You don't get writers that actually did some boxing and actually uh, teach some boxing and actually, uh, as I said, that are actually involved in the sport. So yep. this guy knows the inner workings of the psychology of a fight. You know, like you're in a fight in a marathon. People out there in the world that we talk to, they're in a fight in whatever they do, whatever their vocation, they're in a fight. And it's just a matter of what you fight for. And not many people understand the psychological terrain of that fight. And Anthony Stitt, the writer, he does. And they've chosen to do a special story in Forbes magazine on you, um, Mr. Ken Rideout. Uh, well, well, let's start with you. I mean, the elite marathoner and um, the Henry Armstrong. Anthony, if you're listening, that's his title. Um, the <laughs> Forbes goes along with it. The Henry Armstrong of marathoners. Uh, so, I imagine walking to the finish line and one of the pros says to me, Ken, where are your energy gels? You only have one. We have six. Only gonna need one. No, no, no. That was Sam Langford. That was Sam oh, Langford. <laughs> one of my favorites too. But but both of them special men. They fought years ago. You know, you're talking about. Uh, I mean, Sam Langford was in the twenties. Henry yeah. was the forties. But well, he he went for like two decades. But he he had he comprised a career of about close to three hundred fights. And I think he had like 110 knockouts, Henry Armstrong. But we talked about it last week yeah. in one of our episodes. That's why I say he's like you. He fought one one year close to 30 times in a year. And, I mean, that's a career for fighters nowadays. <laughs> I mean, forget, a, forget about it. Maybe two careers. And so that's you. That's you. And, again, just... Um, Congratulations on everything, and um, I'm happy for you, and I know your family is proud, and as we are. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. The uh, My family is proud, but the, <laughs> there was no rest for the weary. I landed last night at about 10 o'clock from Chicago, got up at 6 o'clock this morning and drove down to the panhandle of Florida to take my kids on vacation for the week, hence why I'm in this uh, – nondescript well, i have this nondescript background i know everyone's missing our uh, digital pictures behind me you that, that we normally see but um yeah thank you I, I i appreciate the kind words from you more than you'll ever know and i can't believe that a writer like anthony stitt from a publication like forbes wants to write a story about my running but more importantly my relationship with you and how it's affected my running and and it's funny i think about those things a lot when i'm running i think about all the expressions and the things that i've learned from you with regards to fighting and treating these events in life like a fight and i really do think of my races like fights i don't care what anyone else thinks maybe it's hyperbole no. but i think when you approach things with that fighter's mentality that's how you get for me that's how I get into the mindset of like, it's go time. Like I'm willing to like, like a fighter when they're ready to, like you always say, they're going to come out of the fight different than when they go in. Like the Berlin as an example, like anything can happen in these races when you're going to push your body as hard as it will go. <clears throat> I mean, people have died in races, many people. And um, I mean, the marathon was originally the guy ran from like Athens to marathon Greece and dropped dead when he got there. The, hence the, 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 the the kind of uh, allure of the marathon is where it, where it all stems from. But um, 
yeah, when I go there, I just, I, I have to get into that mindset to push myself to that point because it's hard. It, it's really hard to be competitive. I mean, if you're just going to finish, yes, it takes some determination, but you don't have to be necessarily uncomfortable to finish a little bit, but to be competitive, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And while I'm not getting punched in the face, I'm pushing myself as hard as I can to the point where I'm like, please let me make it to the last round or the last mile on my feet. So thank you. I appreciate you guys. And I appreciate you adjusting the time to record with me today and accommodate my crazy schedule. So thanks to you. Thanks to Rob and Sam, of course, we just have an awesome team and, and I'm so happy that, Anthony is writing an article about our teamwork and how it's helped us all in many different areas of our lives. And uh, let's talk about some fighting. It wasn't a very action-packed weekend. Uh, um, yeah, two weeks in a row that it's a little slow, but, you know, we got, the, we got some stuff coming up next week. But you know what? We pride ourselves that we're consistent, that we cover whatever's there for the people, for you. For the people, we're not putting no medals on our back. We're blessed that we can do this. But, or on our chest, not on our back. You put a medal on your chest, you wouldn't put it on your back. You get a pat on the back. But we're not trying to pat ourselves on the back. We, but it's true. We we want to be consistent. We want to be there every week for you guys, to, as, as you are for us. And keep subscribing, please, as well as looking out for that Forbes magazine uh, article. And the last thing i add to that, when you were talking about the marathons and about the fight and everything else. There's a reason why. Tell, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty, pretty sure I'm right. The marathon goes back longer than any other sport, I think, on record to the Olympics when the Olympics first started in Greece. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, I I can't even tell you how long ago. But uh, the first, I believe, really Olympic, you know, sport was marathon. Really, I, I don't think there's anything that goes back long farther than the marathon. I mean, there's there's something to be said about that. You talk about challenging a person's will, and and you know to for that sport to be really the 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 first sport um, to be involved in the Olympics to go back and have that kind of history, um, it, it it speaks to something. Uh, that people yeah, that people it. were racing against them. I guess what I'm trying to say is that people basically were racing against themselves to see how far they could go, to see how far they could go. Yeah, um, the, 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 the name Marathon, I'm just reading this from like one of these history pages, but the name Marathon comes from the legend of Philippides, a Greek messenger. The legend states that he was sent from the battlefield of Marathon to Athens to announce that the Persians had been defeated at the Battle of Marathon, in which he had just fought, it took place in August, uh, August or September of 490 BC. It said he ran the entire distance without stopping, burst into the assembly, explaining we have won before collapsing and dying <laughs> and the legend wow. of the marathon was born. And that's literally how it, I mean, that's the story I've always heard. I just never knew all the names, but that's allegedly, and supposedly it was 26 miles exactly. And when they had the first, one of the first Olympic games, or at some point they held one in London and the finish line finished at 26 miles was 0.2 miles from the front of Buckingham Palace. So they extended it by 0.2 to finish in front of, so the King or the Queen of England could see the finish, hence why it's now 26.2 miles. Wow, that's, I'm so glad I brought that up because the history is magnificent just as the feat of doing that is magnificent. And I'll finish, I'll say this last thing that you touched on it. I 
I obviously talk about this quite often. Um, I express quite often in everyone's fight that whether it's UFC as we cover or MMA, uh, boxing, or whatever the fight that you're involved in, that I express it in a way where if our bodies and our souls and our minds, our spirits, were a house that we learn through these fights, through these voyages, because they are voyages, they are journeys, to see how far we can go. We learn to go into rooms that before were unused, unopened, that we had never even known existed in our house, if you will. And that's what it's all about, whether you're a marathon runner, you're a fighter, you're, you're, you're a father, <laughs> a, a mother, you know, a person supporting your family, um, struggling, trying to make it, you know, a, a person who is just a young person who's trying to find their way uh, through this difficult, you know, journey called life sometimes, you know. Uh, it, it's about realizing and learning that there are rooms in your house that can be opened up that you didn't even know existed. And you can go into them. And you can find the things you need to find in those rooms. Extraordinary things <laughs> that you didn't know existed before. So anyway, I think that's a good way to leave it and to, to go right into the fights we talk about, which is uh, with gloves on. All right, let's get into one of the early undercards. Argentina is uh, the IBF junior bantamweight champion, Fernando Martinez. Wins his rematch again. He won the first fight against Jerwin on Sejas. They go the distance. Pretty competitive fight. These little guys always bring the fight. They're just in there banging all the time. Um, back and forth action. I mean, at the end of the day, Martinez gets the win uh, pretty one-sided on the scorecards. How'd you like that Listen, one? Listen, yeah, it was on the undercard of the Showtime undercard of the main event, which we'll get to, Fondura and Ocampo. Uh, it was a good fight. It was... Uh, Martinez kept his title by, as you said, you know, or you implied. Uh, I'll put it in specific sort of ways where, for me, he kept it by being faster and busier and imploring better timing with the delivery of his punches. Uh, no power uh, from either side, either fighter, but plenty of punches, as you just said, thrown and in the end, just a solid, grinded-out, steady performance and victory for Martinez. Uh, but I always try to leave it with, not always with a but, but there's another but. In this case, I will when I think it's, <laughs> when I think it's relative and, um, or, and prevalent that if he's going to continue keeping this title, you know, there's something he has to correct. One is that he lunges with his punches. And if he doesn't correct that, he'll be knocked out by someone one day, as Pacquiao was by Marquez, if you guys remember that. And because Pacquiao, with all his speed and tenacity and everything else that made him great, he sometimes would just run red lights, as I would say, and just rush in there with punches and get away with it quite often but with Marquez that one time he didn't get away with it uh, so if he doesn't want that to be his fate Martinez better learn 
And one of the things that he can do to help himself, obviously he could jab his way in, he could he could be a little bit more under control, but the other thing he could do is faint at the front door before he goes in the front door, Ken. Just give a little faint. Uh, but it's I saw him try it once, but it wasn't real. He he didn't he, he's gotta practice at it. There's there's an art to fainting. There is. And he's gotta learn to faint a little bit more realistic where the opponent will buy it. Will believe it. The way I used to call it, you knock on the front door and then you come in the side door. You you give a little feint like you're coming in and get your opponent to throw those counter punches prematurely, too soon. And then you're safe. And then you can come in clean. You can either come straight in or you come in the side door. Um he needs to he needs to learn to do that. But uh, at the end of the day, again, congratulations to both fighters for not only performing like fighters, but behaving like fighters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like you said, a great fight by those little guys who always bring so much action. They're so, uh, they have so much energy and can crack. Um, all right. Then on to uh, Carlos Adamez smashes uh, Juan Mont- Montiel. Uh, you know what's funny about this one in the first round? The... Uh, the fans were actually booing and catcalling. It started out so slow, so strategic. It reminded me for a minute of, uh, remember Francis Ngannou when he fought uh, Derek Lewis, the Black Beast? And the people were like, are you guys going to do anything? What's going on? Well, they didn't waste too much time in the second round. They started to crack a little. And then finally in the third round, um, what do you call it? Um, Adamez just smashes Montiel and knocks him out and ends the fight. Uh, you know, I think Montiel protested a little bit, but there was no doubt he was uh, done. Uh, how'd you like that one? Yeah, very game effort by Montiel at trying to continue, but uh, there was no doubt he was hurt. He was, he was, you know, he was hurt, um, and that he probably would have got hurt some more. It became, as you said, Ken, as you properly just set it up. It became a firefight. With Adamas, you know, just having a much hotter flames, to be quite frank. Uh, his flames, you know, uh, the other guy had flames from a barbecue. He had flames from a furnace. And, <laughs> you know, the furnace burns a little more than, well, barbecue could burn you too, but more the hot dogs. Um, this one, <laughs> more the person. And um, Adamas is a... I took away from it obvious, the obvious. He's a good punching southpaw uh, who's awkward and explosive and fun to watch. Uh, so I, I look to watch him, you know, and that's, that's saying a lot. I remember when I used to call the Friday Night Fights on ESPN for those years, I used to say afterwards to whoever would listen of some of these people that were in charge of putting the fights on and choosing what those fights were, I would say, listen, get this guy again. Get him again. He's fan-friendly. You know, he he's exciting. Whatever it was, you know, um, get him again and build off of this. You know, follow this guy. And the audience will follow us, you know. So, anyway. Hey, guys, just want to take a quick pause to give a shout out to our friends over at Athletic Greens, AG1. Check them out at athleticgreens.com. Use the promo code ATLAS, A-T-L-A-S, to get 10 of these free travel packs with your first purchase. 
This is the greatest formula out there for an all-in-one daily vitamin. You're getting all your fruits and vegetables in one spot. I love this stuff. Mix it up. Tastes great. I mix it with about a cup of water in the shaker that they provide. It's made from 75 whole food sourced ingredients. You're not going to get a better tasting daily vitamin than Athletic Greens. I've been taking this stuff religiously. You see the results I'm getting at 51 years old. It's all part of the process. Training, sleeping, and diet is the third pillar of a healthy sustainable lifestyle if you want to be performing late in life you have to take care of all your uh basics and athletic greens helps me do that especially when i'm traveling i make sure i get all my uh, vitamins nutrients minerals etc etc athletic greens has you covered go to athleticgreens.com use the promo code atlas for 10 free travel packs with your first purchase athleticgreens.com shout out to today's sponsor feel free Check them out at botanictonics.com. This is a kava-based uh, botanical drink. Uh, creates a feeling of euphoria, again, based on the kava root. I love this stuff. Some people say that it helps them to relax. I think it helps me get ready for um, athletic endeavors. I take this before a race, before key workouts. I take it in the morning usually. Sometimes I'll take it right before we record the episode. Um, can't say enough good things about it. Feel Free is the name of the drink, and it's the maker is Botanic Tonics. Go to botanictonics.com. Use the promo code ATLAS, and they'll give you 40% off your purchase. Botanictonics.com. Feel free. Before we get into the main event, I want to tell you, remind me after that, I want to touch on the um, Connor Ben and Chris Eubank fight getting um, getting canceled as a result of the uh, performance enhancing bust. I wanted to touch that before we get into the fights, but I want to let the fans know we definitely have some thoughts on that. And especially the fact that uh, Ben's doctor has publicly made statements prior to this happen and that only an idiot would get caught doping in the UK uh, in boxing because 80 to 90% of all the top tier fighters, according to his own doctor, only 80 to 90% of the top tier pay-per-view type fighters. And these are his words, Dr. Usman um, are doping. And I'll come back to that. And I've got all the facts and all, all of the, of the case. I don't know. Obviously he calling, so he's, uh, I guess he's calling his patient dumb. Of course not. Of course now he's deleted all his social media. He is, uh, you know, hiding. I mean, not only calling him dumb, but he's basically, I mean, he's basically convicting him. Um, like it's bad enough to be convicted, but to be convicted as a dumb convict or listen, conviction, a conviction uh, uh, is well, convict, gonna, whatever uh, you want to call it. He's not a convict. He didn't go to jail for it. Uh, but um, part of the problem in boxing is. There's never a harsh enough uh, repercussion that takes place with these things because it's boxing. You know, you well, don't. I, I want to. We're gonna. We're gonna spend a lot of time on this because I've like I read everything there is to read, and we'll report the facts as they've been reported. Obviously, we don't have firsthand knowledge, but I'll tell you what's been reported, and the fight was canceled. So you know, if they're it's not bad. Fight, it's not. It's not. We can't say like with with um. We can't say like with Canelo that it's bad Mexican beef, and and I don't think we could say it's bad crumpets from, well, from no, he's uh, been over there in the course of pond. He's been he's been right? busted. I mean, I know the crumpets. I love crumpets, but I don't think it can be bad Mexican beef or bad no. crumpets. Well, um, his 
his drug bust was for Clomid. There's no Clomid in beef, clenbuterol, which... How about in crumpets? Is there any in... <laughs> is there any? I'm, I'm, I just want no, to search sure this out. I want I'm to sure eliminate all be. possibilities. <laughs> Ken, Ken, we pride ourselves in covering everything on this show. Everything. Everything. We're a, we call ourselves the x-ray of, of the fight game. We x-ray things. We cat scan things. Is there any yeah. chance that a flower over across the pond could have some of this stuff that you just Only, said? I guess there could be. If you believe Canelo got his positive drug test from, from Mexican beef, then yeah, you, there may be clomid and crumpets. Yeah. So. There you okay. go. All right, let's get into uh, Sebastian Fandora. I just wanted to let the British fans, because I, I, uh, I've never received more messages on Twitter and Instagram ever about anything than this fight being canceled. So we, we got you. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But let's talk about Sebastian Fandora. Big night for the whole Fandora family. His sister got her fifth win, I think, on the undercard. I like this kid, Fandora. I always like his interviews. I've been saying this, if you remember, since the first time I've seen, I saw him fight, because he's 6'5". At welterweight, he just looks so tall and lanky. Six five is gigantic for one forty seven, but uh, nevertheless, he was in what what with uh, I think a lot tougher than what they expected, at least what the promoters probably expected. And I'll explain in a in a second, then turn it over to you. But you know, I think anytime they put on these showcase fights where it's like an up-and-coming prospect, he's in there with Del Campbell, who got destroyed by Errol Spence in I think one round. Um, I think they thought it was a good chance for Fundora to show his uh, show how good and how 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 um, how much potential he has, and he had his hands full with Ocampo. I mean, he he clearly won the fight, but I think it was closer than a lot of people expected. At least the uh, promoters, I would think. At one point, I mean, even the referee Jack Reese. I mean, usually Jack Reese, I think, is pretty good and well respected. But when he ever came over and warned Ocampo in between, I think the eighth and the ninth round to pick it up where he was going to stop the fight. I mean, I think we both agree it was like a head scratcher. Like, what? The fight is like fairly close. I think maybe I, I would think eight to four would have been a fair judge and uh, score in hindsight. The, the scorecards had it more one sided for um, for Fondora. But again, he's the A side. The whole card was built around him. You knew he was going to get every advantage. But Jack Reese, come on, man. This kid Ocampo is a young kid. He wasn't get, he wasn't hurt. He hadn't been down. He was maybe he took some shots, but this is boxing. And then Jack Reese also went over and told the California state athletic commission that he wanted the Ocampo team fined for spilling water in the corner, which maybe he did spill water, but I would think unless you've given him a warning and they're egregiously spilling water every single round, like lighten up Jack, he's in the fight. Everyone can see it. Don't make it more harder than it has to be like level the playing field. Don't try to put pile more crap in front of this kid to overcome. You already know that, Fondora is going to get every close round. Like why this just, I think that when you see things like that, you're like, come on, man, come on. You know, this kid is it. Ocampo. I love Fondora. I want to see him win, but I can still look at this unbiased and say, dude, don't make it hotter than it has to be on Ocampo by this crazy warning him that he's getting taken too much punishment. He never was. And then giving him a, trying to find the team for spilling water. If it happened once, I mean, what if you accidentally knocked the bottle of water over? I mean, that, it can happen. Give him a warning or something. Anyway, I, I digress. How'd you like it? What'd you think about the refing and how would you think about the, 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 everything that they were doing to make it hotter than it had to be for Ocampo? Well, a lot to unravel there, but we'll do it. I'll do it. We'll do it. Uh, but a lot there. Um, first of all, I'll start with one of your comments and no, I'm not being political. I'm being funny. Um, 
you just had a Joe Biden moment where you said, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> come on, man. I'll give you three, uh, two words, made in America. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> That's all we need. Um, beautiful. Love it. Uh, come on, man. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, what else could you say, actually, that's fitting sometimes to say, come on, man, like, what's going on here? But let's start at the beginning where the fans want me to start, I would think. First of all, you, you touched on it, you referred to it. The only loss for Campo was four years ago at welterweight, lower weight, against a tremendous fighter, uh, Errol Spence, and he got stopped in one round with a body punch. So he's... Obviously, he's not in there with Spence. Number one, and number two, he's you know he's come he's gotten a lot of seasoning in four years. He had a big win streak uh, going, and you know not against uh, Godzilla and you know those kind of people, but still he he had a nice win streak going. He got seasoning, he developed, he got better. Uh, By the way, Teddy, one quick thing. I think I, I think I said. I think I said. I think I said earlier that they were fighting at one forty-seven. That that it was hard to believe that. Uh, yeah, one fifty-four. Sorry. No, no, no problem. Uh, I was going to get to that. Thank you. You knocked that off my list. Uh, <laughs> I was going to get to that. And listen, he's a again to what you started with. He's a he's like a freak of nature. First of all, when you look at Fondora, that he's six foot six. Uh, at a hundred, at junior middleweight. I mean, to put it in proper perspective, uh, he's he's as tall <laughs> as one of the heavyweight champs of the world. I mean, you know, Fury. Yeah. Uh, Fury, I believe, is maybe six seven, but, but Wilder, uh, I think, is six six, if I'm not mistaken. Or he's in that yeah, range. Yeah, Wilder is either six seven or six six. As a matter of fact, we'll talk about it later. But the opponent that Wilder's fighter fighting, Hellenius. Uh, is is six six? So he he's just about as tall as as at least not only that one of the heavyweight champs of the world, but a couple of the the top heavyweights in the world. Wilder uh, is six seven. Yeah, so he's one inch off. So that's that puts it, I think, a little bit more in perspective of what a freaking nature he is. Uh, I I thought Tommy Hearns was a freaking nature when he was as tall as he was, <laughs> you know, at welterweight, which was pretty incredible. What was he, 6'3", six, 6'2", six, maybe, Tommy Hearns, the hitman, the Motor City hitman who was involved in so many great fights. Tommy so many Hearns great was 6'1". Uh, yeah, 6'1". I thought he was maybe a little taller, but that was pretty extraordinary. And, I mean, that was at welterweight. So that's where you start. And... From there, you go to where what's even more extraordinary or as extraordinary is that he prefers to fight inside than outside with that height. I would always yeah. say on ESPN, guy is tall, has to learn how to fight tall. You have to learn how to fight tall. And he hasn't really perfected that. He he fight tall. He surprised me. He came out and fought tall the first few rounds. Um, not perfect, but, you know, because... Uh, he still allows guys to invade his space, his territory, his his distance that he shouldn't. And I thought Ocampo did a good job early on with the jab, controlling range, understanding range, being in or being out of the range of that long, long, tall Fondora, uh, where he stayed out of trouble and he was negotiating things, space, pretty well. But again, Fondora chose to 
fight the way I think some people would like him to fight as a taller guy early on. But then he went to where he's really most comfortable. And maybe in some ways right now he's more advanced. Fighting where you wouldn't expect, with a six-foot-six guy going inside and fighting in the phone booth uh, with a shorter man. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of the fight with Riddick Bowe fighting the first time for a title against the great Evander Holyfield in their first fight. And probably everyone expected because of the size disparity that Bowe would control the outside, but he went inside. He actually won the fight inside with Holyfield, the shorter guy, the great inside fighter. He won it inside with the uppercut and other punches because he knew how to throw short punches, concise punches, even as a tall, long man inside. Not everybody learns that. Fondora has learned that, where he can shorten his punches up and throw concise, good, impactful, accurate punches as a tall, long man on the inside. So again, that's part of it being extraordinary that he, that he does that. I, I don't know that it's always where he should be, but what this fight came down to, it was going to be Ocampo had to pick, I always talk about geography, had to pick the geography that he had the best chance in. And obviously the geography that he had the best chance was on the inside, being the shorter arm man and everything else and his style. And here's the thing that really made it where only one guy was going to win. Fondora was, for Campbell to win, he had to win on the inside. And if he was going to stay outside, he probably was going to lessen his chances to win. And he got inside. It's not hard to get inside with Fondora because he allows you to get inside. He likes to fight inside, as I just said. And he got the worst of it, Ocampo. He got the worst of it inside. The one place where if he was going to win a fight, he had to win. And he couldn't beat him on the inside because Fondora's punches were more snappy, more concise, uh, more effective, more impactful, more accurate than Ocampo's who drew a lot of arm punches. Not all. He drew a couple left hooks up top that were pretty decent, but a lot of body shots, and there's a long, lean body to attack. So he had the right idea. There's a lot of space to, to, to find, to hit, with a long guy like that. But his punches were, again, not as accurate, not as snappy, not as impactful or effective as Fondor. So if he couldn't win on the inside, and we already kind of said he can't win on the, beat him on the outside with a six foot six guy if he decides to fight on the outside the right way or half the right way with the jab. Um, and then setting up counters when you try to invade his territory. Because that's how tall guys should fight, I think. Control the outside, and when the guy tries to get inside and invade that territory, you make him pay a price. You charge him for real estate. You know, instead of money, instead of dollars, you charge them punches. You want to come in a foot? Okay, it's going to cost you three counters for that foot. Three left hooks, two left hooks and a right hand to come in. And if that's not enough of a problem that Fondora had the advantage inside and outside, he also is a southpaw, which presents, you know, potentially another problem, being a little awkward where you don't, orthodox guys don't see southpaws nearly as, you know, that as often. Um, 
and that can become a difficult part of it uh, to to deal with. So he really had no chance to win because on top of it, Ocampo's not a big puncher. So he couldn't win on the outside with this tall guy. He couldn't win on the inside with the tall guy who he has to win on inside. So at the end of the day, he wasn't going to get the better, and he didn't. I agree with you that the fight should have been scored a little closer, but what the hell, that's what they do. Uh, they they take care of their guy. They didn't have to take care of their guy, the promoter's guy, but they did, um, and they do. Uh, I thought that going along with this guy being a freak of nature and being... A freak in two ways, as I just said. One, that he's so tall that he's physically got those assets at that weight. And the other thing, that he, again, he has turned himself into a guy that usually can't fight inside when you're that long. But he can. The bad part of that, the negative part to that, is that when you are the taller guy and you fight inside, and you get tall sometimes, and you, you, get, you stand straight up, you become like... A tall building. You become like a skyscraper. Skyscraper. And skyscrapers have windows. A lot of windows. And windows can be broken. And if you're the shorter guys, suddenly... And Ocampo had this opportunity. Suddenly there's windows to break. And at the end of the day, I think that's, that's something they're going to have to rectify and deal with and figure out uh, for Dora's people. They're undefeated. They got one draw. They're undefeated. And they're building momentum as a fan favorite, as, as getting a little bit of a following because he is a fan-friendly guy because he don't just fight on the outside. He goes into the, to the fire and into the oven. And he, you know, he's, in the, he's in that place, that kitchen where the heat is, where people appreciate that. They want to see action. But I think they're going to have to figure out how to get better in that area because sometimes he does stand straight and there are windows to be broken and those windows almost got shattered in the fight before this fight when Fondora fought Eric Lubin. He almost got knocked out. I don't think they should forget that. He came very close. He showed heart. He showed great heart and people liked him even more because he got tested and he passed that test of showing resiliency, showing you know character. And coming back after being hurt by Lubin. But it also showed his deficiency, as I'm talking about. His flaw. That they better be aware of it. They better be aware of it. Because I believe, and I give both fighters credit. A great job by, by Fandora. A great job by Ocampo. Fighting, showing the kind of heart and grit that he showed all night long. Taking shots. But... I, I'm going to tell you now, and if the people don't like it, hey, I know you only hear what you want to hear. You, you heard that I just said some nice things about Fondora, but I also did my job. I pointed out some deficiencies they better be aware of. So now you probably won't like this. I'm going to predict that the way it's going, the trajectory that he's on, when he fights the top, the elite, maybe it's the title when, when he gets to that point, but when he fights those guys, he's going to get knocked out. I'm, I'm saying it here first. If I'm wrong, I hope I am because I want to see everyone be successful. And I love that he's a good kid. I love that 
that he's a class act when he gives an interview. I love that he speaks well. He represents the sport well. He's got a great story with his family. His sister's a fighter. She works the corner with him. The father's involved. They're all involved. I love it. But I'm just doing my job. I, I think that unless something gets changed, when he fights again, the top of the top, whoever that is, title fighters, whatever, whoever it represents, wherever it represents, I think he's going to get knocked out because of what I just said. And um, But in the meantime, he's fun to watch. He's exciting to, you know, to get behind. I enjoyed it. I gave credit, as I said, to both guys uh, for showing, you know, not only fighting like fighters, but behaving like fighters. Uh, and I, I just, uh, I'll, I'll continue to watch his fights because there's drama. There, there, you know, more drama than should be, maybe. And I, again, but, like what you said, I love this kid. I have since the first, since I first saw him, I was like, I probably Tim Zoo. Yeah, I he's think gonna he is. I think he I is. Hope, I hope I'm wrong. Just, I mean, I say exactly what you say. I couldn't agree more. No surprise there, but I, I was going to jump in with all that, but you beat me to the punch. But um, yeah, curious to see what happens for him next. I hope I hope he wins. I like him a lot. Um, the one thing I want to add in here, and you you touched on, you were probably going to jump to it now because you you rightfully brought it up at the very beginning. It it normally would be enough for Campo. Listen, he was chosen as an opponent. I don't think he really became too tougher than they thought. He just was chosen. He might have been. You might be right on the button with that. But he was chosen because of what I said. He was chosen. You have to have a, a guy that's got a good record and a guy who's going to make a decent fight. Uh, you got to try to have that. And and they had that. So maybe it did become a little tougher than they thought. I think, again, some people get mad at me and they'll probably say, oh, you're being a hater. I'm not being a hater. I'm being Teddy Atlas, the analyst that does his job. Whether no matter how I feel, it's the professional part that comes out, not anything personal. Watch The Godfather. It's not personal, fellas. Uh, it's business. Okay, fellas? So I think one of the things where he's not quite at the height that some people make him because, you know, some of these people, they got to build him up um, that are involved, whether it's in the commentating, whether it's in the whatever it is, the promotional part of it. I don't think he's quite that elite puncher that they make him out to be because if he was, I think he probably would have knocked out Ocampo. Either that or Ocampo just has a granite chin because Ocampo, and I know he's got a granite heart, but Ocampo took some clean shots, some really pretty clean shots, and he handled them pretty damn well. So I don't know that he's that he's got that great eraser like Wilder did. Wilder couldn't fight. I know he won the heavyweight title and he made millions and millions and millions of dollars. I get it. But he he really never learned how to fight. Maybe he could spell it, but I, I don't think that he could do it. Uh, other than that, he could punch like hell. He had that eraser, that right hand, and he had a lot of heart. And he still does. Wilder. We have to see how much he's going to be eroded possibly from the damaging fight that he just went through being knocked out uh, in that fight with Fury. But we'll get to that more later. But I figured I should say that. To, again, to put things in proper perspective uh, when I'm saying things and why I'm saying them, what I'm comparing them to. So I don't think he's got that eraser that Wilder had. Wilder could overcome 
a lot of his deficiencies because when he hits you, for the most part, it was good night. I don't, I don't really think he has that. Uh, maybe I'll be wrong. I'll be proven wrong. But he's gonna either he would have either needed that to overcome these deficiencies or just again not to be that tall building sometimes on the inside where there's windows to be broken. The thing that I wanted to say here and that I alluded to about you touching on it is that not only did Ocampo have to overcome an undefeated opponent, uh, the promoter's fighter, the house fighter, a six foot six opponent, uh, a guy that knew how to fight inside, which is really Ocampo's cup of tea, and he actually could do it better. But he also had to overcome something that you should not have to overcome. There's enough to overcome in this this business. The referee. And now, before I even get into it, and you touched on it already, and it is a story because it became a story. But before I even get, I'm friendly with this referee. I've known him for a long time. Matter of fact, I was one of his probably biggest supporters early on when he was really starting to come up more and get more known on ESPN, fights on ESPN that we were doing regular every week. When he was I was very complimentary of him, which I thought he deserved. And I, and I knew him as a person. He's a, he's a good person. Uh, and so I, I just, I said what I felt I wanted to say. But here's what I'm going to say now. And he's still a good person. And he's a good ref. Um, but to the people out there, as I say this, I guess I'll qualify it by saying this that get mad at me for saying certain things. Oh, Teddy, because you don't like this guy. I Again, he's my friend. And I'm still going to say something that's, you know, going to be corrective of towards him. That's going to be uh, constructive criticism, if you will, or whatever, whatever you want to call it, critical of him. I'm going to say it. Yeah, he's my friend, but I'm going to say it anyway. Why? Because again, watch The Godfather. It's not personal. It's business. I care about being consistent professionally and saying what I believe, not influenced by anything other than what I believe, okay? So for the fans out there that attack me, keep attacking me. I don't give a damn. But understand that it doesn't matter if you're my friend or not my friend. If I believe it needs to be said, I'm going to freaking say it. So it was odd. It was a little strange and I give credit to the commentators. I'm very critical on this show, sometimes rightfully so, I believe, of some of these commentators who howl for their meals and, and just really um, get the pom-poms on. Today, no pom-poms. I'm, I'm, uh, no pom-poms. We're going to hold off on the pom-poms because the commentators, one of them in particular, did the right thing when... The referee came into the corner in a fight that was really close, really competitive, around the eighth night round, whatever it was, came in the corner and the referee says, um, basically was saying, I I'm going to stop this fight. He's looking sloppy. I don't remember the exact quote. You'll give it to us in a second. But uh, I don't like the way he looks. Uh, if, you know, uh, I'm going to, I could, I might stop the fight. Um, if he, he doesn't was get, falling all over the place. Yeah, if he doesn't get better, he's falling all If he doesn't get better, first of all, he throws too many wide punches or compos. So, yeah, he's not as good technically 
as maybe you would want him to be. Maybe not even, as I said, he's not as good even as Fondura is on the inside, where he's got to make his living, Ocampo, because he's a shorter guy. Uh, he throws a lot of wide punches. But in a competitive, close fight, for him to say that, it's not like Ocampo had been on the floor five times and gotten off and was getting, you know, beaten to the pulp and getting beaten from you know pillar to pillar in a ring it wasn't happening it wasn't but for him to come in there and, and say that to this fighter in the fight of his life at that point in a tough fight again a tough competitive fight for him to say that it rung as extraordinary it run as really more than extraordinary it it rang out as why is he doing it? Like, this is strange. And the commentator, again, to his credit, one of the comment, the other guys you could tell, they were afraid to chime in at first. They really were because they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to knock anybody, especially a guy on their network that's that's going to be doing fights. They, these guys all want to be friends with everybody, unless they're not friends with the guy. <laughs> and then God help the guy. But they want to be friends, Get a, go along to get along. But this time, this commentator... He, he said what had to be said, that this is crazy. This is not right. This is weird. This, is, this has the look of something that just is unfair and not doesn't make sense. And the other guys, again, they didn't want to go there, but they got forced there because this commentator had, well, he told the truth. He told the truth. And the truth, I appreciate it, okay? And I think the fans do. That's why they don't realize. I think they insult all you guys, all of us, when they don't tell the truth. Uh, no matter what their reason, whatever their gender is, but I don't think they realize that at the end of the day, the, the people have brains in their heads, especially boxing fans. For the most part, mo most of you guys know what a boxing match should look like. I give them credit for that. But again, I don't know if people realize what that impact could be. It's the eighth, ninth round. It's a competitive fight, right? He's still got all these other rounds to go in a tough fight, but a competitive fight where he's obviously the big underdog. And that impacts you emotionally and mentally. And if, I don't know if it did damage to him, but I know it could. It could take your confidence away. It could, where you think you're doing good and all of a sudden the referee says, I'm thinking about stopping a fight if if you don't change your ways here. It, it kind of... Speaks to two possibilities, Ken. One where mentally it affects the fighter, which I always say is 75% of this game, the mental part. Just like you understand in the marathons how important the mental part is. So, number one, it all of a sudden puts something negative in a fight where you don't want nothing negative. He's already in a fight, a tough fight. And so you start making him think, I'm not doing so good. The referee might stop the fight or thinks I'm doing bad. So it impacts him psychologically. And then the other thing is maybe it forces him to go down a road he shouldn't go, to get more desperate, to open up, to to take risks that he shouldn't take that could lead really to his downfall. So for a referee to go down there, I'm not saying he thought he's a good man, the referee, but to go down that road and and do that and impact the fight, potentially impact the fight that way. I had to say something, friend or no friend. I had to say, because it's not, I didn't think it was right. And as you didn't, as a lot of fans didn't. And the final part on it, I guess, would be 
I don't, a lot of fans, right away you're going to think, and I know you thought this, and I get it. That's the problem. The look, the look, the look, what it looks like. It starts to look like it's a tougher fight than you thought, and the home guy needs help or should get help. It starts to look that way. That's exactly uh, of, what it looks like. A look of impropriety. See, I'm gonna now. I'm gonna defend the ref. I'm gonna say, and don't mean that I'm right, but I don't think it was that. I think what it is with this particular case, and it could be that sometimes, and it is that sometimes. That's the problem in this sport. That's why people are gonna think that, and some people have thought that. But I think it was a matter of maybe your ego getting in the way where. The referee starts to become more important than he should be. Starts to impose himself into a fight more than he should. See, we use, a referee, we used to always say the best referees are never seen yep. unless they have to be seen. Uh, you don't even know they're there. And when you start, until you know, because you have to know, until they're needed, truly needed. And I, and not too late, but at the right time. And I just, Sometimes referees want to become, I'm not, I don't know if that was the case, but I don't think it's the other part, where they want to become too involved and, again, become part of the fight. They should never become part of the fight until they have to do their job, which is always possible that on any given night, you're going to have to do that job. But until then, you should be heard, heard but not seen. You know, and he potentially impacted that fight by being seen in a way that he shouldn't have been seen. And, or, you know, been doing some of what he was doing. So, anyway, that's my take on it again. I want to be consistent. Uh, hate me, love me. I, I'm, uh, one thing, maybe it'll be an epitaph on my uh, gravestone um, that people will say, hey, you know, he caught it the way he saw it. Uh, and that's that's all I that's all I try to do, you know, to kind of quote the uh, guy, again, people loved him or hated the son of a gun, but the uh, legendary Howard Cosell, uh, town it like it is, town it like it is. That's what I try to do. Um, and I know it's connected to subjectivity, to to my opinion, my 50 years in this business, uh, I get it. But again, it's unbiased. It's it's truly what I, what my experience tells me, and it's influenced by nothing else. Uh, what do you feel about it, Ken? I'd like to hear more. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that uh, I, it would be, I mean, I, I think that, it looks terrible when when the house fighter is getting every single advantage in a fight like this, and then you see the scorecards, and it's so one sided. But he's I don't think that they do themselves the refs, judges, anyone does themselves any favors when they when they behave in exactly the manner that you would think the stereotype would would assume that the house fighter is going to get every advantage. But <laughs> I don't think anything is going to change on that front, not with the current structure as it is. But let's um well, lack of structure, right, Ken? Yeah, exactly. Right, Ken? Lack of structure, lack of oversight, lack of accountability. And with that, I think we should segue in and talk about this situation in the UK with um Connor Ben and um Chris Eubank. 
And um, just to recap, the fight was canceled this weekend. It was also strange that these their, their dads had fought back in the day, uh, Nigel Ben and Chris Eubank Sr., and had uh, two uh, legendary fights, and there was a, a somewhat of a grudge match. But I think that, if I'm not mistaken, Ben was coming up from 147 to fight Eubank, who's a 160-pounder. And, um, you know, from, from assuming the drug test is accurate, that he was taking Clomid, which is a, um, which is a fertility drug, but also has some um, testosterone boosting effects, um, which would make sense, right? He's coming up 13 pounds to, uh, I'm not sure what the weight was where they were fighting, if it was a catch weight or if it was at 160, but seriously, but if you got a guy who's 13 pounds heavier in the prime of their careers, it would make sense that if someone was going to take drugs, it'd be the smaller guy. But, um, Again, I want to make sure that I get the guy's name right because I want to make sure the doctor gets all the credit he deserves um, for his statements. And his name is uh, Dr. Uh, give me one second. I'm going to make sure I get it right. It's Dr. Usman, but I want to make sure I get his uh, for Dr. Usman Sajad. And I saw the interview with him. He's very, um, I don't want to say arrogant, so I'll say very confident. But he very confidently was giving an interview to a boxing podcast in the UK where he was saying, that um, only an idiot would fail a drug test in the UK because, and he got very, very specific, which tells me that this guy knows exactly what he's doing. He was saying that unless you're in the um, WBC clean fighter program, which has a 24 seven, 365 protocol, meaning they can test you in and out of competition. That's the only way you can catch someone. And he's, and he's confirming that. So he's basically saying that with a urine test, there are faster acting testosterones and growth hormone drugs that you can take that are out of your body in 10 to 12 hours. They can't test you between 11 PM and 7 AM. And again, I'm just regurgitating. I know this to be true, but he goes through all of these protocols and highlights how easy it is to beat the test. So what he's saying is because the drugs only in your system for 10 to 12 hours and they can't test you between 11 and 11 PM and 7 AM or something in that context, maybe it's 11 and six, but he's basically saying if you took drugs at, let's say eight, nine o'clock at night, don't answer your doorbell. Now, if you don't answer the doorbell and you're in these whereabouts programs, the 365, 24 seven, you get a fit. You can only miss three tests and then you're suspended. So you can't just blow off the test and hide. And I assume that when you're in these drug testing protocols, that unless it's the unless it's that VADA uh, voluntary anti-doping agencies program that you can kind of skirt around some of these whereabout protocols. But basically, if you take a fast acting testosterone or growth hormone that by the time they get there to test you in the morning, it's out of your system already. So anyone who's speaking with such confidence and commitment. Now, this guy has worked with Tyson Fury, Billy Joe Saunders. I believe if he didn't work with Billy Joe Saunders, I apologize, but I think that's what he said. And certainly he's worked with Connor Ben. Of course, now he's hiding behind the veil of doctor-patient confidentiality and he can't talk about it anymore. All of a sudden, Mr. Popular, the guy who was like the authority on performance enhancers, the guy couldn't get enough media now he's hiding under a rock somewhere, deletes all his social media. It's just funny that like, this has got to be the worst criminal in the world. He's like a, a bank robber out there boasting and bragging about how he can crack any safe. And the minutes that the, they're onto him, he's like, oh no, I, I, I was only talking crap. I don't really mean it. Come on, man. This is again, Joe Biden. Come on, man. Like, what are you talking about? It, it, 
these guys that come. I gotta jump in real quick. Uh, You know, I love movie references. Love them. Love them. I gotta grab one. Gotta grab the one again from The Godfather, Godfather 2, when uh, Frankie Pantangela was on the stand. When he was on the stand in the congressional hearings about organized crime with Michael Corleone being the head of the mafia and all this stuff, and he's on there, and then all of a sudden he changed his story. Right, yeah. just like when you're it, talking about. When, it, he when changed, his brother came in, yeah, his brother came. He changed <laughs> it, just like you're talking about, Ken. A parallel here with real life and and with fictional life, but sometimes it, there is the parallel uh, for a reason because it is it can be real life. And sure enough, what did Frankie Five Angels, Frankie Pantangela, suddenly what did he say? He go, uh, uh, you know, the FBI told me to say this, and they told me to say <laughs> that, and I said, sure, sure, sure. Michael Corleone did this, and Michael Corleone did that, and I gave what they wanted. But And then the congressman is like, you know, like you're talking about, he was like, he couldn't believe it. He said, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I have a signed affidavit. <laughs> like, like, shove it up you nowhere. Like yep. that, you know, like, what is that worth? Like that and, and $100 to get you on the subway because it yep. used to be a dollar. Now it's yep. probably about $100 to get on the subway. Whatever. But that and uh, whatever gets you, get you across the toll bridge. Um, like, I have... But Mr. Pantangela, I got a signed affidavit here that that says that Michael Corleone ordered murders on on the because uh, again uh, you know like the FBI said Michael <laughs> did that, and I said yeah sure sure so anyway to your point Ken um, yeah you know these guys should get in the movies. Instead well, of guy, uh, being in medicine, <laughs> instead of having that responsibility of boxing, medicine, everything else, they should probably uh, they should probably try to get in. If there's a Godfather four, they should probably go to central casting. I don't know. I don't know. That's my this guy. Sense. Should this guy should maybe not talk so much if you're in crime? Like uh, all I can think of when I see someone talking like that, I, I my first reaction is remind me not to rob a bank with you, dude. Keep your mouth shut if you're committing crimes. And there's no doubt he is because if he's the doctor to these world-class fighters, he says in this interview, 80 to 90% of, of the top fighters, pay-per-view world champions are all doing doing performance enhancers, 100%. Only that I believe. Can, that I believe. Only, I'm sorry. Uh, I do too. I hate only, to say it. In a sport that I've been in my whole life and I love. Uh, go ahead because I've, I'll finish on that. Go ahead. And he, and he says only an idiot's going to get caught. And I just think if you're an administrator, a fan, a participant, uh, anything to do with this sport, like how much more evidence do you need that when you have the guy who's re- who's the personal doctor, they've all acknowledged it. There's interviews out there of Tyson Fury talking about, yeah, he's my doctor. He helps me if I get a cold, you know, anything can come up. They've got a story for everything. But at the end of the day, if that's your doctor and he's telling you all these top fighters are doping and, what do you think he's telling his patients? Hey, if you want to beat that guy, you've got to do this too. And I know how to beat the system. Here's all the protocols. He's outlining them. Let me, in this let me just look out for you the so, way you look out for me. We're, we're not confirming that we know that, that he does that. Of course. And he says that. Ken is not saying. Ken is just being reasonable, like any person out there asking reasonable questions, connecting semi-reasonable dots, if you will. And right. he, he's not accusing anyone. He's just saying... He's saying something that just makes sense 
to figure that it's a possibility. Well, now again, and, and, no and confirmation, then, but it's then, a possibility that you would think that eh, maybe it leads to that. The other maybe. thing I would say is that maybe. when when you hear about all the hoops they tried to jump through to still make the fight, that the fight was was temporarily postponed. Postponed. The guy just got caught for doping. How could it be postponed? He's supposed to get a four year suspension. My point is. There's so much money involved for the How many times the big involved. baby, how many times did the heavyweight, uh, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be uh, oh, uh, admitted <laughs> uh, admitted to the Metsa club, right? I don't think so, <laughs> right? No, no, I'm just saying. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think that he will. He but uh, twice, I, I, I mean, it. no, I think it was three times. But but, but who's counting? <laughs> who's counting? Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, he blew like a $5 million fight um, where, you know, he was going to fight. He was going to fight Joshua. Joshua for the title, and then Ruiz gets the chance. Yes, and not happen to Ruiz. No one was yeah, going to accuse Ruiz. Yeah, he could. He could have been in Ruiz's position, possibly, possibly. Yep. Um, but he Ruiz gets it, and he knocks out Joshua and makes millions more. Um, he he was in that spot, and he gets caught, and then he gets caught again, and he gets caught again, like. It and then he's being to, recruited by top rank to be one of their fighters. Like the fact so, that a promoter would no, sign no. him after getting caught so many times. And the it last thing I want to the say pro- is... Ken, it speaks to the problem and it speaks to what you're saying. That not only... <laughs> it's unbelievable. But the, where's the, where is really the the repercussion... Uh, there's not uh, really there's you, none. You, you do it again 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 like where where is the stimulus to keep these people from doing it to keep the sport you know to keep it clean like if they know that they get caught they're gonna get another chance and then another one and then another one it's not and a lifetime ban they're making excuses for them Teddy this is the, the main point is they still tried to make the fight he still hasn't been really criticized by the promoters involved. They're like waiting to go through the process and all this stuff. And my point is there's so much money involved. They'll do anything to cover these things up for them to say that he's been caught. I always think the, the evidence must be overwhelming because if there was a way to brush this under the rug, they would. There's no question. If you need more evidence, like you're just not paying attention, they'll let anything go. I think when they finally catch someone like that doctor said, you're an idiot. How could you get caught? We know everyone's doping, but you, you, you are so obvious. We have to say something. And, and the I reason we're touching the, a, the reason we're making such a big and Ken is making such a big deal. Let me tell you, let me again, put it in a proper context. They make a big deal about baseball, and there's guys won't be allowed into the Hall of Fame. Great players, but the they were doping. The guy from San Diego and just got the guy's Tatis. He's like the best player in baseball. He got suspended for like, I don't know, six months or something. A real yeah, suspension, and, and they're in the playoffs. Yeah. And, and some of them can't get in the Hall of Fame. We, we don't have to go down yeah. the list. And, but they find, they think it's important enough to keep that out of baseball, where you're beating up a baseball where if you have this stuff flowing through your veins you can knock the freaking cover off a baseball it's still a baseball a baseball and but and cheating is cheating but we're talking about in this sport that ken's getting so you know so up in arms about and and i follow him and i've said it before ken the thing with this is you're putting stuff in your veins that doesn't allow you to hit a baseball harder but a human skull. 
It, it allows you to hit a human skull that has a human brain, by the way, inside that skull, for most people at least. And, and there's a human brain. Some of them, I don't know, maybe they got to do a CAT scan to make sure, I don't know. Uh, not fighters, but just people in general uh, out there. Maybe you got to figure out where that thing called the brain is. But you're talking about giving an unfair advantage to someone to punch somebody in the head. That's serious. That could kill somebody. And it's already a dangerous sport. Again, it's my, it's my sport my whole life. 50 years of it. And it's already dangerous. I always say people get in that ring, they come out of that ring with less of themselves all the time. And now you're making them more dangerous. That's wrong. And that's what we're fighting about. And that's why we're up in arms. That's why we take this so passionately. That's why. And if you don't agree, you know what? Go to hell. All right? Uh, they were going to fight at 157 catch weight. So he was going to come down three pounds, Eubank, and the other guy was going to come up um, 13. But you know, this point here, uh, to close the door on this, that it begs to ask the question, and I think we touched on it already, but really open up the Pandora's box to, and, and you touched on it. If, if we're talking about this in the amount of times we are, and with what the doctor himself said, a doctor, not Ken Rideout, not Teddy, a doctor, a medical person, a person of science, already said about how many people out there, how much of the sport is doping? How much of the sport is involved in this activity? I mean, I'm not, fighters to me are, are they're noble warriors. They are noble warriors. And obviously, I love them. But how many of them are out there doping that make, again, an already dangerous sport so much more dangerous, especially against a guy that is not doping? You know, I mean, if it's against two guys doping, it's still dangerous. But a guy that doesn't do the wrong thing, a guy that goes in there only with his natural ability and his his developed natural ability, his work ethic, and, and his belief in himself. And now you got to go up against a guy who has put that into his blood and gives him that kind of... So it begs to ask the question, and again, open that Pandora's box. Like, how much of the sport is involved in this activity? You know, so... I... I, I <laughs> I've been fighting this fight forever. We're fighting it now on a podcast. Uh, it's really, you can't be a decent human being, I don't think, and a logical human being and an honest human being if you don't say that this stuff is important and there's too much of it. There's, there's, if we hear this little bit every once in a while that we hear, how much is really there? And again, it's the doctor himself. I don't think he meant to, but, you know, sometimes you don't mean to step in poop, you know, but you still, you step in poop. And I don't, I don't know, the doctor's probably trying to clean his shoes now and say, oh my God, I, I, I got this poop all over me and I'm bringing it into my house. Um, Daddy, the best but, part is, the best part is the podcast that he gave this interview to, when I, when I looked at it, when it first came up, it had like a thousand views. So he was giving this interview, running his big fat mouth to an audience of like 20 people. And now 
and, and now when this thing comes out, now he's like so famous, he's got to delete all his social media. For what? Like, just keep your mouth shut if that's what you're doing. Like, if you're going to be a criminal, at least be a good one. I mean, he's basically implying that if you're not in the 24-7, 365 protocol, like the VADA protocol, that you could be doping until you enter that, let's say, eight to 10-week period before when they enter the voluntary drug testing protocol you could be doping for months at a time getting strong getting fit to blood doping getting getting your red blood cell counts up and then you enter the, the 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 testing protocol for eight to ten weeks the drugs are out of your system but the benefits are still there you still put on x amount of muscle you've still built up red blood cell count that, that takes months to dissipate same thing as training at altitude without having to do all the hard work so i think the guy basically highlighted and outlined what everyone knows to be true it's just no medical professional was stupid enough to talk about it until uh dr usman popped up and I, i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah with dr usman here i'm gonna finish my part with this um to use your analogy being a bad bank robber kind of bad not good not good not exactly john dillinger but uh it would be tantamount <laughs> to the bank robber telling the teller, okay, put the hundreds in there, which is, you know, what a bank robber should tell, right? I guess you should go after the hundreds. Put all the hundreds in there, right? Put all the fifties in there. And by the way, add in a couple of those exploding ink packages. Congratulations, Doc. Throw in a couple of those too, okay? <laughs> so they can explode all over me as I get in a car and start counting up my cash, okay? Uh, it's like when he left the bank, he left behind his whole, like, whole to-do list. Give the note to teller. Run outside. Get in the car. He outlined his whole like how, how fighters are doing everything while while representing or treating like a number of like high profile fighters. Like they, if if I was one of his patients, I would be like, ah, buddy, I, I thought I was paying you for confidentiality. What are you doing out there? Anyway, too funny. You can't make this stuff up like you would say. But let's get into, uh, let's preview the big heavyweight. Two big guys going at it this coming weekend. Deontay Wilder's in with Robert Hellenius. Hellenius coming off two knockout wins over uh, Adam Konaki, who looked to be an up-and-coming um, prospect in the heavyweight division. But Hellenius derailed him in a hurry with two back-to-back -back, uh, TKOs. Wilder obviously coming off his own two losses to um, Tyson Fury. So interesting matchup here. Uh, interesting fight. Two very big guys, 6'7", I think. It's 6'6", six, six maybe for both guys, or 6'7", for both guys. Um, what are you looking for in this one? Yeah, Wilder's 6'7", and supposedly, and uh, and Hellenius is 6'6". Six, six so uh, first thing, Hellenius is, they picked him for a reason. Uh, he's got those couple wins so they can sell it, and he's but he's thirty eight years old now. He, Hellenius was knocked out four fights ago by Gerald Washington, and Washington, uh, Gerald Washington's record is twenty five and one. He's been knocked out five times, and he's forty years old now. So four fights ago, Hellenius was knocked out. And then he had the good wins against Kanaki, as you said, undefeated Kanaki, a uh, Polish kid who was drawing, you know, good fans in Brooklyn. Uh, and then he got derailed. But also, I try to put things in honest context, proper perspective on it. 
you know, Kanaki was a guy that you could close your eyes and still have a good chance of hitting him on the chin. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm just saying, and I'm not knocking him. He's a warrior. He's a tough guy. He is. But By again, way, for, those people, for those people, for those people out there that say, "Oh, you knocked out," oh, you know, do I have tissues here? Now nah, I don't have my tissues today. But for those guys, oh, they start crying and all that stuff. Hey, I I evenly disperse my proper criticism or constructive criticism or points of fact to wherever they need to be dispersed. I don't pick on anybody. So, again, by the way, Gerald Washington was knocked out by Koenaki, and then, so Koenaki knocks him out, then he knocks out Hellenius, so then the Koenaki's people were probably like, oh, great, give us Hellenius, and Hellenius was like, not today, Adam. Well, Hellenius so to the point, no, you're right, It is, and that's why I do, again, I try to do the CAT scan of this thing and give the people out there everything they need to know. Um, Hellenius has been knocked out two times, not just by Jerry Washington. He also got knocked out um, four, I think it was four years ago, um, uh, uh, or six years ago. I'm it's sorry, I want to be accurate. Six years ago. Yeah, by John, John Dohapus. Um, Johan Johan yeah, Johan yeah, Dohapus, <laughs> a French fighter who's um, now 41 years old. So he got knocked out by him too. And just again, just so you have his record, the Hoppers now is thirty nine and seven. Uh, but I say that part. I also say the good part. So again, I pride myself. I try to pride myself in being fair uh, on both sides of whatever the issue is, and give it all. He being Hellenius, Robert Hellenius, has also gone the distance with some top fighters like Dillian White. Who was a you know was a top ten heavyweight who fought two times for the heavyweight title got knocked out both times but you know he's a top guy he went the distance with him he also went the distance with one of my favorite guys over there across the pond uh, perennial contender and warrior Derek Chisora uh, and and he 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 won a split he won a split decision uh, over Chisora he had lost to White. Uh, a decision going the distance. So he's been in, and of that decision, that split decision to Chisora was in Finland, which might have played into it a little bit because that is Hellenia's home country. But at the end of the day, he's been in. He's an experienced guy with thirty-four fights. He's six. And you know, he's been half. around. He's been around so long. He fought Samuel Peter in two thousand eleven. Yeah, he, that's I right. Seen that name? In and a he, long he, time. Knocked, he knocked out Peter, and yeah. Peter had fought Klitschko and had Klitschko on the floor seven times or whatever. <laughs> uh, the younger Klitschko. Yep. So look, and then Peter went downhill real fast. At the end of the day, I'm giving him the credit. I'm I'm saying a negative and a positive. He's also an experienced guy who's been in there with a lot of good fighters. Okay? Now, he was picked for a reason, for the reasons I just pointed out. He was yep. picked by, there's no doubt, he was picked by the Wilder camp uh, as a comeback fight coming off the knockout loss, two losses, knockout loss in a row to Fury, but the, the savage beating, and he showed all the heart in the world, Wilder. And he gave back some of that beating, dropping Fury before he was finally vanquished. But he's coming off a really, really bad beating. He's been off a year, and Wilder has. And now he's coming back, and they want to try to get it right. So they picked this guy 
and they're probably right. He probably, they picked him, they think he's going to go out there, hit him on the chin and go home. Now, there is a possibility that Hellenius maybe hits him first because he can pop a little bit. Maybe he hits him on the chin first and things don't go that way. But chances are that they'll probably go Wilder's way. I would bet on that direction. But here's the X factors in breaking this fight down that's coming next week. The X factor is two things that I don't think anyone else pointed out. Um, One is the more obvious where Wilder is coming off that bad, bad, um, tough fight and a bad beating. How much was he damaged psychologically and physically? Now, he took a year off, which was smart. But how much is, is he all the way back or not? So does that play into it? Maybe, if you want to take the underdog, you know, and you want to call up my bookie if you got the extra money to throw around like that. Um, otherwise, don't do it. But maybe, probably not. But that could play into it, that maybe he's damaged goods, Wilder, maybe. And that's why they're being careful. But the other thing that also might play into it that I don't think anyone's touched on is that Wilder has had problems with tall guys. Wilder's usually the taller guy, 6'7". But when he fought a guy as tall, if not taller, as Fury, of course he had problems. Of course it's because Fury could fight. I, that was a big part of it too and had a great chin and great heart but and a difficult style but part of it was also the height that he could match Wilder's height Wilder is now fighting a guy who can also like Fury match his height Ken uh, you know he's like a half an inch shorter Hellenius as I said is six six and a half and Wilder's six seven so that could play. That could possibly play. Um, we'll find out. But I want to give a comprehensive breakdown to the fans out there. And that's about, I think that's about as comprehensive as I could get with what we have. Yeah, Hellenius is definitely chosen as an opponent. But we have seen guys chosen as opponents where it didn't go according to script. Uh, quite the way, you know, the way it was scripted. Especially but, in heavyweights. <clears throat> So, yeah, because sometimes it can come down to the simplest thing. Who hits who on the chin first? I um, mean, Hellenius versus Okonaki is a perfect example. They figured after he uh, got knocked out by Gerald Washington and, and, and Konaki. Yeah, but Konaki's not Gerald. as good. Konaki's not as good as Wilder. He doesn't no, have no, the no, power. No, 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 for sure. But, but, but you're, they, I get they, it. I they, get they, it. They I tried get to serve Hellenius up like a sacrificial lamb like they did with Andy Ruiz against Anthony Joshua. Yeah, sometimes those heavyweights have different ideas. And again, Konaki, who, you know, that's why Eleni has got this fight. He he knocked off the undefeated kid two two times in a row. Um, And Konaki was obviously undefeated and untested. Uh, And as I said, you know, kind of easy to hit. But as I also said, he's been in there with some solid fighters, Hellenius. But he's again he's been obviously chosen as Wada's comeback opponent uh you know because they figure Wada hit him on the chin first and you know that's probably the likely scenario you know and I'll leave it with this unless and I'm 
you know, I have to say it. Unless, as I said, he hits Wild on the chin first and then doesn't get disqualified for hurting the promoter's fighter. Um, because sometimes that's how boxing works. Unfortunately, sometimes. Um, so, uh, that's that. That's that for that. A line on that fight, by the way, is uh, Wilder's minus 900 plus 430 on Hellenius. Yeah, I mean, again, you would figure that. I don't know if they have an under-over, do they, Ken? Uh, no, they don't have it listed. Yeah, because I, I would think most people probably think it's going to be the under that they think that, you know, Wilder's going to go out there again and hit this guy, you know, that's been put there, I'm not going to say on a silver platter, but maybe a bronze platter, I don't know. But, or maybe just a tinfoil platter, I don't know. But, uh, and hit him on the chin and go home, but that's what probably most people would think. And one other thing, unless we have another order of business, and I'll leave it up to you. Nope, that's all we have. I just want to go back real quick to the what we started with, which was the Showtime fight, obviously with, we touched on the undercard, and there were good fights, and we, um, for the most part, and we touched on, of course, the main event, Fondura and Ocampo, but I have to touch on where the just the time of day that the fight took place, Ken, that. <laughs> Uh, you know what, Ken? You know what I felt like? I was thinking about you because I knew the next morning, I knew you were in bed and I knew that the, you were getting ready for the marathon. But after watching these fights, I felt like I was in a marathon. I mean, it was 11.30 at night and they were, I love Anderson Silva. I, I, I mean, I just, you know, I think that, uh, he's one of the, well, for me, he's the greatest MMA fighter I've ever seen. I've ever, and listen, I, I put guys like John Jones, you know, I put guys like GSP up there, Khabib, Khabib, for sure. Uh, Volkanowski now has got to be up there. He's still fighting. John Jones is still fighting, so it's not complete. But for me, Anderson Silva was my favorite in his prime from the stuff that I saw. He's not only a obviously great fighter, he's 47 years old now, of course, and he's pretty extraordinary specimen, you know, physically. But, and of course, he's got that fight with Jake Paul we'll talk about some other time. But, and I think we broke it down already a little bit. But, and people could go back in the archives and see our, you know, a podcast where I did talk about it. We did talk about, but at the end of the day, I... He, he doesn't only resonate for me, um, Anderson Silva, as a great, great fighter, and one of the, for me, the greatest of all time, maybe, but as a great person. I mean, when you listen to his interview, I mean, he's a man of class, and, I mean, he handles himself, you know, outside the ring the way he does and the way you would hope a champion would always handle himself the way he does inside the ring. And that's not always the case. But he's a class act, and of course, he's very articulate. And as much as I love him, I at 11.30 at night to put that interview on, 
<laughs> when you're still Ken, 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 you were sleeping. You were like, oh, oh, and you were thinking about you know the uh, the the marathon. But but uh, you know I wasn't sleeping yet, and it was eleven thirty at night, and all my and all our fans out there weren't sleeping yet. And I know you gotta feel the same way. And I'm you guys gotta understand. I'm talking for you, for myself, but for you. I'm trying to be your voice because sometimes you don't have a voice. So I'm trying to be your voice. Uh, although you do have a voice, just like voting in this country. You have a voice. You could just turn it off. And, and then, you know, guess what? Those, some of these executives, even the ones that aren't real smart, like the guy at Showtime. Oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 <laughs> I, I'm not going to get that job. Well, whatever. But um, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? But even them, sometimes, you know, they they gotta you gotta be told that at eleven thirty at night when you still got a fight a ten round fight or whatever it was ten or twelve round fight coming up I think it was ten whatever it was it don't matter you still got a fight and then you still got the main event to come and you're doing interviews at eleven thirty at night and then showing taped you know pieces you know video pieces taped video pieces. At 11.30 at night, I mean, it was after midnight when the freaking main event finally got in the ring. After midnight. After midnight. Uh, I mean, so I just had to say that. I mean, this guy's a slow learner. The guy, look, some of these executives, they get paid. I don't know what they're getting paid for. I know it's a lot of money. I think they're overpaid, uh, really. I mean, I could for half of his salary, I'm just going to guess that is pretty, well, I know it's a lot, but for half his salary, I think I could make a better decision, a better executive decision than him uh, at 11.30 at night to put the freaking fight on instead of, instead of doing more interviews and more tape segments uh, and you still got another fight. I think that I can figure that out even at less of the pay, pay, uh, that he gets. I think I can figure it out. But I don't want this to be all negative. I want to show some love a little bit. Or at least see if I can put a a little bit of a helping hand out there to this overpaid executive. And here it is, Ken. If you're going to do this, go and get a coffee sponsor. Get a coffee sponsor, espresso something, because, I mean, it would make sense. Get, really, I mean, I know you got the other sponsors and they make sense as long as they pay, right? But get a coffee sponsor. I think that the fans would appreciate it. And I'm going to tell you something. I'd buy the coffee. <laughs> I would. I'd buy some of it. I, I'd hear that and I'd say, yeah, good idea. I, I, I need an espresso to finish this night. I need a nice, you know, not decaffeinated. I need a nice, strong espresso. So I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help where I can. I know I'm critical where I need to be critical, and I speak for the fans. I try to speak for you guys out there. Even when I got to take some arrows that come at me, foo, foo, foo. they come, you know, they come and they, they but... I'm willing to take them when I think that the fight should be fought. And so get some coffee sponsors. 
and and I I promise you, the the product will do good. The product will do good on your shows that you put on after midnight. So with that, I would say, Ken, this coffee's for you. Well, thank you. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this on a slow weekend. Appreciate you. Thanks again to Rob and Sam. Um, and we will be back next week to break down all the action from this weekend. We got the uh, Deontay Wilder. We also got Devin Haney and Camboso Tude coming up from down under. We'll be back next week to break it all down. No, and I'll finish by saying this. Thank you. Um, thank you for doing more than a show here, helping to teach people that you go chase your dreams. You're 50 plus years old. I won't get into exact numbers here. I, you know, I'm not going to do that. But um, looking good, kid. Looking good. Um, but you're chasing your dreams. You're chasing your freaking dreams. And God bless. Everybody should do that. Go chase your freaking dreams. Don't worry about if you're going to come short. Just chase them. Because you'll get further than you would have if you didn't chase them. You might get all the way there. But either yep. way, you, you get you get further than you would have been just thinking about it. Um, and, and, and one other thing. I see the line. I, I'm looking now, Ken. <laughs> I see the line getting longer and longer of the people that want to attack us now for some of this, uh, <laughs> oh, some of this podcast that I thought was a good oh, yeah. podcast. I see the line. It's getting longer and longer. But I also know that there's another line, the line of the people that appreciate it. And yes. uh, thank you. Thank you for thank you for that line. Thank you for both lines. Because yep. as the great Muhammad Ali would say, uh, half the people come to my fights because they hate me and half the people come because they love me. But they all come. Thank That's you. That's it. Thanks, guys.